So my dad passed away in 2015. We weren't talking and it took a month for his family to track me down. Before I ever knew he was gone, I started hearing from him in heaven. It consumed me. How is communication with the other side even possible? I left my corporate gig, studied with spiritual teachers on every coast, and worked with my angels to figure out the answers. Today, my mission is teaching you how to raise your vibration, shift your thoughts, trust your intuition, develop your unique spiritual gifts, and connect with your loved ones and angels on the other side. Friends, when you have these tools, life really does become heaven on earth. Hello, beautiful souls. Welcome to the Angels and Awakening podcast. I'm your host, Julie Jancis, and today we are here with Amy Hartle. Amy Hartle lives at the intersection of personal and professional experience in breast cancer land. With over eight years of working with women impacted by breast cancer, her own experience through the diagnosis and treatment in 2017 has profoundly shaped her life and changed the way she approaches her profession professional purpose. Amy, wow, you have experienced so much. Thank you for being on the show today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Of course. So tell everybody, what is it that you do? I know you have this gorgeous website. Share with everybody what it is that you do and so that they can know more. Sure. And I will just put this out here in case it starts. I'm working in a very old, my office is in a very old building from the 1800s and the radiator sometimes gets a little clangy. It's actually owned, was owned by my father's landlord. So she always thinks it's him just making noise. <laughs> if it starts banging in the background, I apologize. I'll try and speak loudly. Well, now it has to happen because we talk right? stories on here all the time. Yeah, of course. And now it probably won't. So there's <laughs> um, Come on, dad. <laughs> yeah. So I am a breast cancer recovery educator. And that's kind of a term I coined myself because in my current business, as we are now, I work with women impacted by breast cancer and I've created a business that's founded in my other profession, which is oncology, massage and lymphatic drainage. So I have a long history, a long family history of breast cancer and ovarian cancers. I myself have a a mutated gene, the BRCA1 gene, which some people might've heard of. And that just means that my body doesn't fight breast and ovarian cancers, those gynecological cancers as efficiently as some people who, you know, as people who don't have the gene mutation. And so that ultimately puts me at very high risk. And because of that, I've done a lot of things in my career, but when I found massage therapy, when I kind of found this profession that really has become my, my purpose and my life's work, I also discovered that there was this subset called oncology massage. And because of this family history, I knew I wanted to be able to serve people who were being impacted by cancer. And I've been in that field for over eight years, oncology massage and lymphatic drainage. But since going through my own diagnosis and treatment a few years ago, I realized that there is a real dearth of support and education for self-care for women who go through this experience. And that is what I am trying to fill. That's, that's a gap I am trying to fill. So I use 
my professional background, my training, my hands-on experience, and the experiences I've had working with women hands-on, one-on-one. And I have turned that into an education program that I can share with women virtually to help them understand what their bodies have gone through when they've experienced breast cancer surgeries and treatments and how to kind of take charge of their own recovery, you know, how they can actually be a part of their own healing. So that's where breast cancer recovery educator comes from. Amazing. Amazing. So tell everybody about your story and, you know, this is such a traumatic thing to go through, but if you're willing to share what it was like to have that first diagnosis and, Sure. Yeah, it was really, it is traumatic. It's very traumatic. I always tell people that I'm in a little bit of a unique situation because most women who receive a breast cancer diagnosis don't have a family history. They don't have a genetic mutation. You know, as far as they know, they're not living at any increased risk over the general population. And so it really blindsides them. You know, most women really feel like the rug has been pulled out from under them when they receive a diagnosis. Because of my family history, my my great-grandmother had it, my grandmother had it, my mom had it when she was 38 and I was 12. You know, I, I started, I had my first mammogram at 23 and have been heavily monitored my whole life. So because of all of that, you know, I guess when the when the diagnosis finally came, like when it when it finally happened, it was very scary. But I also had a lot of information. And I would say somewhat from the personal side, but more from the professional side, you know, having worked, having, having actually studied and, and been trained around what different surgeries can look like and what different treatments and what the impacts are having worked with women who, you know, have been through this before understanding their stories. I don't think for me, it was quite the shock in the same way that said it was still, it was still very scary and a little surreal. You know, you spend, when you, when you have something like this, you kind of spend your life wondering and waiting and, and fearing and worrying. And then when it actually happens, it's a little bit like, oh, okay. (laughs) Okay. Now, now what? So I was diagnosed with, in 2017, I was diagnosed with stage one, grade three IDC, which is invasive ductal carcinoma, just means that the tumor has broken through the cell walls and into the, the breast tissue. So for me, luckily it was a small tumor. It hadn't gone beyond the breast. I didn't have any lymph node involvement. It hadn't spread anywhere else, but it was a rather aggressive type of cancer. The amazing thing these days, especially with cancers that are as prevalent as breast cancer, because there is a lot of research, there's a lot of tests they can do. So they did a genomic test called the Oncotype DX. And that is, it determines just a lot of details about the tumor itself. So even though I was very early stage, it was a small tumor, I did end up going through chemotherapy because of uh, how aggressive the tumor was and the the fear of recurrence. There was, I was at like a 35% chance of recurrence without chemotherapy. And of course, when it comes back, if you don't have breast tissue, because I had a double mastectomy, it'll typically come back in other organs and bones. And at that point it's considered non-curable. So it was, it was a big deal, you know, and, and it was definitely, it was a lot to go through. I mean, it was pretty much an, almost an entire year of my life. I was diagnosed that kind of some of the, the stuff that had me worried started in the late winter, early spring. I was diagnosed by, by the end of April and I finished my last formal chemotherapy treatment on November 1st of that year. So it was like an entire year of, of treatment. And then the after effects, of course, because that's something that 
a lot of people, including women who are experiencing it, don't always realize is that cancer doesn't end when your treatment does, you know, just because surgery is done and you might be done with active forms of radiation or chemotherapy, cancer stays with you, even if it's not in your body anymore. And there are so many impacts that we experience as far as just a lot of women are, are menopausal afterwards. I actually have my ovaries removed with my surgery because of my risk of ovarian cancer. And so I became surgically postmenopausal at 41 and then, then I'm on hormone blockers and, you know, there's just a lot that goes with it. So it's, it's definitely a life-changing experience in a way that even with all of my knowledge and prior exposure, you know, it's, it's life-changing in a way that I could never really understand until it actually happened to me. I want to talk to you about your massage background as well, because, you know, so many of the massage therapists that I know also understand energy work as well, because they're, they're in the body and you can't help but pick up other people's energy when you're working on somebody. What background do you have, if any, like in that energy? So I've always been a little bit more of what I consider a clinical therapist. You know, you have the whole spectrum in in this field, in this profession. You have people who are solely into energy work. You have people who are solely into like, it's got to be evidence-based and scientific. And then you've got most of us who fall more in the middle. So I've always been more of a, you know, hands-on working with the muscles and the soft tissue and structure and all of that. But I, I have done my Reiki one level training. Yeah. Reiki, Reiki level one training a while ago, years ago. And I am a big believer in energetic exchange. I, I personally subscribe that we are all, you know, we are all energy and that we are all connected to each other and the universe at large. And like you said, you kind of can't help but pick up on people's energy or exchange your own when you're in some, in a session, like a massage therapy session. I, that said, even being on the more kind of uh, physical side of it, I guess, I fully believe in the body's ability to, to change its energy through physical transformation, like engaging the parasympathetic nervous system. So a lot of the work I do, you know, with, with clients, even before my own experience with breast cancer and, and regardless of who I'm working with, yes, I work with people to, you know, reduce their aches and pains or to work out their kinks in their shoulder or their neck or their low back. And I work with women who've gone through breast cancer more specifically to help them reduce the risk of lymphedema or manage symptoms to work with scars But I would say the underlying focus that every single one of my clients receives from me is is the desire to help them come into a more relaxed state. You know, most of us live in that fight or flight side of our nervous system, uh, even when we're not aware of it. It's just modern society. We can't help it. You know, it used to be running from prehistoric animals uh, that kept us alive. And now it's actually our email inbox that's never ending or, you know, stress about our kids at school or a global pandemic. And we're always in this heightened state that really takes a toll on our bodies on multiple levels. And so working to change someone's energy by, by flipping their state from fight or flight into the opposite, which is rest and digest is, is always a goal of mine, because I do think that 
that's where self-healing starts to come in. Our body is meant to be in homeostasis. It's meant to be in this perfect state of balance. And there's all these internal and external forces trying to throw it out of whack. And so the more we can bring the body into a calm and relaxed state where it doesn't have to worry about some of these, you know, major, major factors, these major players, the more it can focus on cellular healing. And, and, and I do think that that alone, when you bring someone into that state, it changes their energy, it changes their vibration, you know, and where, how they, how they, what, how they come into the room is often very different than how they leave the room. I've got a few announcements. This month's winner of the drawing is Mackenzie Payne, who gets one free session with me. Email me a screenshot of your five-star positive review on Apple Podcasts, Google Business, or my Facebook page for your chance to win next month. Details are in the show notes. Friends, in the Angel Membership in June 2021, Archangel Raphael and I are teaching you Self-Energy Healing 101 and Chakras 101. You'll learn how to give yourself an energy healing session, techniques to keep your energy clear, and how you can heal your own energy field. To join this course live or replay at any time, sign up for the Angel Membership Program today. Also, a new class of the Angel Reiki School begins on June 1st. Join this separate program to develop your unique spiritual gifts and become an Angel Reiki Master. I'm still offering private readings. To book one, sign up for our weekly Angel email. Once a month, you'll get an email that contains a link to book your session online. One more thing, I am loving spending time with you live and answering your questions over on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. Follow me on social and our newly launched YouTube channel for tons of new video content. Thanks for your support and for sharing this podcast with your people. Yeah. yeah. And there's research out there too that shows, right? When we are in this fight or flight all the time that, you know, I don't know what the right word is. If it's that we're more susceptible, if it's that like our immune system is weakened, where we're not able to fight off as much, how does that play into cancer itself? Well, you know, it's, it's tough because there are a lot of theories out there. There's a lot of people believe a lot of stuff. And and I think there's some truth in all of it. As far as, you know, I can't cite any specific studies about stress and cancer, but I will say that it is certainly known that chronic stress takes a toll on the body. Our body, like if you look at people who have a lot of autoimmune disorders or digestive disorders, it's, it's probably not far fetched to, to, to ask them or say, you know, find out that they have uh, a lot of stress in their life or in their background. You know, certainly some of these things are genetic. There, there are things that have happened within our bodies that throw them out of whack. But I myself have had a personal experience of stress-related illness, and it was prior to cancer. I went through a really long period of emotional and psychological stress. My father was ill and ultimately died. And at the same time, I was going through a separation, which led to divorce. And it was about a year and a half of just this really long, constant 
struggle. And it ended up resulting in me, it started with back pain and it turned into like me being able to barely walk and my ankles swelled. Like I was, I was retaining fluid in my feet and my lower legs. And it was basically my body's way of saying, you can't continue this. We can't keep up. You know, all of my, my systems, all of your systems, which work together are meant to, you know, again, that, that balance. And so when you're, when you're so stressed, when you're living in a, in a state of chronic stress, that chronic fight or flight, things like digestion don't happen the way they should, you know, you don't sleep as well. And when you don't sleep as well, your cellular turnover doesn't happen the way it's supposed to. I mean, there are so many, so many variables that can play into that. And when it comes to cancer, cancer is our, it's our, it's our own body. It's our cells that mutate. And we all have cancer. We all have the possibility of cancer in us at all times. It's just a matter of why something gets, you know, turned on or thrown out of whack, why certain cells will mutate and the, and the body can't fight them off like it's meant to. But I do know that I certainly have encountered this and I have heard it from a lot of women that, you know, women I've known who've had cancer have gone through very stressful events. And it's tough because you don't want to say, well, stress causes cancer, just like you don't want to say eating certain things or drinking certain things, you know, causes cancer. It's, it's more about what can you do to always keep your body kind of working at its optimal level. And then from there, you kind of have to hope for the best because there's so much that we don't have control over. And, you know, as much as many people, as we try to stay calm and relaxed and we meditate and we do, we exercise and we do all these things, there is just some level of the world we live in that it's hard to, it's hard to stay in a truly mellow state all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I ask about this too, because very early on, I into my journey as an energy healer, I worked with a woman who had been diagnosed with cancer, middle-aged, and her doctor talked to her about her negative mm-hmm. thoughts because he said, you know, you hold a lot of resentment with the way that you speak about your husband. And you hold a lot of resentment when you talk about some of these people in your life. Have you considered this? Have you considered that? And I thought that that was very powerful. And I have no background, you know, when it comes to working with cancer or, you know, understanding cancer. So how do negative thoughts play into all this too? I guess the the simultaneous thing here is like, When I teach students that come through my angel Reiki school to learn energy healing, spirit always says that there's two components to healing that go together simultaneously. It's one thing to go through a Reiki program and learn how to change the physical vibrations of the body. But then somebody gets up from a Reiki session and they still have all of this mental component that hasn't been worked through. And that's where with angel Reiki, the messages come through to work out the thought vibration and the, you know, the high vibration, the oneness energy that we hold of the Reiki energy brings in the physical, brings into the physical body, a higher vibration to shift the energy of the body. Yeah, no, I get that. I mean, I, I try to be very cautious because I think language has a big impact in our world and in the way we, the way people absorb things or receive things. And, and so I try to be very careful 
in the cancer culture, unfortunately, there can be a lot of toxic positivity. You know, a lot of that, the, the, that you're the warrior and it's okay. Just, you're going to beat it and just kick cancer's ass and think strong and, and just all of that. And that's, I mean, I don't begrudge that. And some people who are going through it really embrace that they need that. That's, that's where they draw their strength from, but it can also force people to live up to a certain level of emotional, like exuberance and, and kind of just this, this feeling that, you know, inside they're not feeling that way. And so then they feel guilty and they feel less than, and they feel like they're not being strong as, as people think they are. And so I try to be very careful with that. However, I do believe that one, you cannot separate out the physical from the psychological, the mental, the emotional, like we're, we're there. You just can't, I mean, yes, you can look at the components individually, but they all impact each other. And I do think that there is something to be said for positive thinking as well as, and, and maybe I've started really playing lately with the, the differences between positivity and optimism and hope and how there are subtle differences. Those subtle differences can matter. So, you know, I do think that there's something to be said for people who are feeling, you know, when people are harboring anger, resentment, fear, grief, all of those really heavy emotions they weigh you down. You can physically feel the way that they impact you. And if it, it basically, again, is kind of keeping your body in a fight or flight state. Now, maybe not at the, the level that we think of, you know, run away or, or fight back, but what is anger except, you know, that need to fight? And what is fear except that need to flight? And so, you know, if you're in a more rest and digest your body, and they, we call rest and digest because the parasympathetic nervous system, like when your body is in a relaxed state or sleeping, it doesn't have to worry about that other stuff. So it can focus on all the things like digestion that aren't, you know, they're critical to our function and our life force, but in a, in an emergency situation, you don't necessarily have to digest your food at that moment. Do you know what I mean? And so, so those are the kinds of processes that happen, like that cellular healing, digestion, just, just kind of when your body is in a calm state. And if your mindset is in a positive, optimistic, hopeful, calm state, you're more likely than to have your body feel that lightness, right? Like we can talk about the, the, what we feel in our bodies in relation to the emotions that, that kind of correlate. So I do think there is something to be said for that. You know, I think it's, it's a fine line to make sure that you're not putting pressure on people to say, well, if you're negative, you caused your cancer, or if you're positive, you're going to heal your cancer or anything. But, but I do think that there is value in, in looking at like that. And I listened to one of your podcasts where you were talking about like, you know, when everything's against you, and, and kind of when you have that negative, like you either, and I don't remember, I wish I remembered the, the actual phrase sentence you used, but it was about, you know, I think it was about science. When you see, when you're open to see science and when you, when you see science out there in the universe, you see them everywhere. But if you don't see them, you'll never see them. Like it's, it's, you know, and, and it's funny because I personally subscribe. I actually have a tattoo that has the word rigged and it's from Remy's quote, live life as if everything was rigged in your favor. Because when I went through breast cancer as awful as it was, I felt like in so many ways, everything went really right for me. Like it went as well as it possibly could given the circumstances and everywhere I looked, it was just like, I felt like I was living in this little bubble of, of protection that like, 
you know, even though I was going through this horrific experience and I think it made it easier for me to deal with. I also think it, you know, the the reason other people like it so much too is because it makes it easier for them to deal with, right? It's always easier to, to cheer someone on when they're smiling and, and showing, you know, this upbeat side versus the person who's really, who's really down and struggling. But yeah, I do, I do think that mindset can play into it as far as the way you'll experience whatever steps along the way of a cancer journey. Yeah. 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 And that's so fascinating. And let's talk a little bit more about this because I was thinking about it when I asked the question more along the lines of like this woman that I had worked with and I worked with her very intensely for a long time. It was like she had to work through and process and really move through. Why did she feel resentful about these different people in her life? Not to just put on a happy face and say, okay, well now I love these people and everything thing is a okay, but really kind of working through like the muck of like the the emotions and what was really sitting there with her on her heart. What is that toxic positivity? Yeah. yeah, that's a completely different topic. And actually, I think that we've danced around it, but we've never actually called it that on the show. And we've never really talked about it. But for those who don't understand what positive or toxic positivity is, explain that to them because this is different. And I actually see a lot of this happening too with people who lose someone or be like mothers who have lost kids will complain about this a lot because they don't want to hear, well, that person's better on the other place. They want their child here with them now. And my mom had a, a very close friend who was diagnosed with stage four cancer and people would come up to her and say, well, just believe, you know, believe that you can fight this and just believe. And I believe you're going to be okay. And she said, every time she heard that, it just crushed her heart so much because she would tell my mom, don't they know that I'm dying? And, and why can't they say it to me? Like, why can't they just honor that I'm not going to be here and I'm struggling with that? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That is, you know, I mean, that's, that's kind of, that's it right there. It is, it's, you know, toxic positivity is when we, when someone focuses on the positive to the point of not, no longer leaving space for all of the emotions that come with a situation. And, you know, I imagine that you experience this a lot with, with your field and what you do and your gifts and what you teach is that, death is a natural process. And in our, in our society, in our culture, we are not in tune with death. We do not like to talk about it. We don't want to think about it. We don't want to talk about it in relation to the people we love or for ourselves. And, you know, we, we don't ritualize it in the same way that it used to be. We don't prepare for it. We don't honor it. It's, it's something to be avoided at all costs. And what happens then is, you're right. You know, if someone faces a, whether it's a, a cancer diagnosis early on or say a recurrence or a stage four diagnosis, you know, it's, it, you have to face your own mortality and there's going to be grief and fear and wonder and hope and all of these different, this different range of emotions. And 
it's okay to feel those. No one should ever feel like they can't grieve if they're going, if they're dying or if they know they're going to die or, and, and, you know, I do, we all want to be, we all want to be hopeful. We all want to believe that something can change or something, you know, can happen. And, and I, I mean, I've even felt it. I have a friend that I grew up with who was recently had a breast cancer recurrence. And, and so she's now stage four and they've basically, you know, when that happens, they've said she has like two to five years to live. And, you know, I, I wanted to be able, you want to comfort. And I found myself saying, well, just remember that like, no one knows what's going to happen, right? Like those are, those are statistics. Those are statistics based on data, but that you are not a statistic, you are a person and that we don't know what will happen with that. That said, it's okay to feel scared and to feel sad and to, and also to own that she's not going to beat it, you know, because that's what happens, like, especially with uh, a breast cancer diagnosis or a cancer diagnosis, you know, and with a recurrence with say stage four, when it becomes non-curable and people say, that's okay. You kicked its ass before you're going to kick its ass again. And what they don't understand is there's literally no cure. I mean, yes, someone could live many years with, with no evidence of disease, but, but they're never considered cured. And it, it really, it's all about basically, do they die from complications of that cancer? Or does something else happen to them first? And when you, you know, the toxic positivity thing, when you don't allow the person to have the full experience because you want to press this, this hope or this belief or this positivity on them, that's just really unfair. You know, you're not allowing them to have the full, the full human experience that they've, that they've been given good, bad, or otherwise. And I think that's where we start to sometimes force our views on other people. I think it can happen with spirituality and religion. You know, we, we see it through our lens instead of the, what, what the person believes or is going through. And I think the way to just kind of avoid it or, or to, to be careful of it is to ask questions instead of offering solutions or telling, you know, and just say, well, how, how do you feel about this? What, what do you hope for? What do you believe will, will happen when this, you know, with this situation and follow their lead instead of telling them how they need to deal with, with something like that. That's incredible. That's incredible. Thank you for sharing that. I'm wondering too, you know, I think that there's some things like you just said that we don't talk about, right? And I don't even know what is the difference between radiation and chemotherapy and kind of like, what are the steps when you get this diagnosis? Right. So, and here's, what's really fascinating too, that most people don't realize is that Breast cancer isn't just one diagnosis. It's actually hundreds of diagnoses under a breast cancer umbrella because within the category of breast cancer, you can have all different types. You can have tumors that are fueled by hormones. So you can have, there's basically what three different receptors that they look at, estrogen, progesterone, and one called HER2. And it's all about how the cancer is fueled. And so you can have triple positive, you can have triple negative, you can have, I was ER positive, PR negative, HER2 negative. And then within that, you have the different grades of like how how kind of advanced uh, the cancer is and not, not meaning throughout the body, but like how, how fast does it multiply? How aggressive is it? And you can have slow growing tumors. You can have fast growing tumors and all of those variables determine what you're, what you're going to experience as far as surgery and treatment, you know, is it 
is it spread into the lymph node system? Is it spread elsewhere in the body? Is it, you know, and, and even with that, so a woman who has a stage one tumor, like I did might actually, depending on the size of the tumor and her care team and her individual unique makeup and the genetic, you know, the genomics of the tumor, she might undergo a lumpectomy where they just remove the actual tumor and part of the breast, but you know, it's just, they kind of pull that piece out and leave the rest of the breast intact. And that might be the end of it. Or she might have a single mastectomy where they remove the whole breast and that might be the end of it. Or she might have radiation therapy and radiation therapy is actually radiation where two, typically they do what they call targeted and then like whole breast in the case of breast cancer. So they'll actually target the tumor site itself because what they want to do is even once they've removed the tumor, they, the radiation will kill off any cells that surround it where, where microscopic cells may have started to move elsewhere into the breast. Um, and then they'll do whole breast radiation and kind of target the whole area for the same reason. So radiation therapy is a type of therapy using radiation that actually destroys the cancer cells. And unfortunately it destroys other cells in the process. It creates burns. You know, some women get out with just a little bit of pink tinge. It looks like they got a sunburn. Some women experience horrible, horrible blistering and open wounds. And like, it's just, you know, because we're all unique, right? Our bodies are all different in the way we experience things. Chemotherapy is, and there's different chemotherapy, there's different medicines within the chemotherapy family. So there's different drug types and it's, uh, it's a systemic medication, meaning it's an infusion. They inject it into you. There are forms of oral chemo that you take by pill, but what most people think of is it's in an IV infusion. And again, they, it's a medicine that kills fast growing cells. They haven't, you know, they're, they're working really on immunotherapies that target specific cancer cells, but it's the reason that people lose their hair when, when they have chemotherapy, because hair, hair follicles and hair cells are fast growing. And so are cancer cells. So basically chemo kills all of the fast growing cells. It recognizes it, it kills anything that might recognize like a cancer cell, even if it's not. And that is something, you know, they're, they're constantly working on is trying to get more and more targeted on being able to affect the cancer cells and leave other cells in the body alone. But there, there are cases where, you know, cells can travel, like typically you think of cancer cells traveling through the lymphatic system, but sometimes even when there was, you know, no lymph node involvement, like no one saw, they, they had no evidence of lymphatic travel, you'll still end up with a distant, distant metastasis somewhere. And so whether it came through the bloodstream or somehow moved through the body or, or mutated there as well, you know, that's what chemotherapy is out to do. It's basically there to destroy any hidden cancer cells in the body. Well, sometimes it's used to destroy active cancer cells. So sometimes a tumor is too large to actually operate on right away. So what they'll do is in that case, a woman might have chemotherapy first to try and shrink the size of the tumor. Sometimes they get what they call a complete pathological response where the tumor actually disappears from the chemo itself. They can't find any evidence of the tumor, but they'll still go ahead then and have surgery to remove the breast tissue just in case, or, or to be sure that it doesn't come back. So there's so many, it's just, it's a huge complex, you know, field of of study and of experiences. And it's, it's why a lot of the time too, you know, you can have, you could have 10 women in a room, even with similar diagnoses, and they might have slight differences in the way they were treated, you know, depending on their individual 
make up their medical team's advice and even their own preferences. You know, some women choose not to go through certain things. Sure. Not it's at the advice, the recommendation of their doctors. Now, you know what? I've heard of it, but I don't totally understand it either. I think it's hugely impactful on our being though. Talk to us about the lymphatic system. Yeah. So the lymphatic system is relatively young when it comes to Western medicine. And by that, I want to say it was like late 1800s when they really started to even know that it was a thing. And it is, it's a major, it's a major piece of our, our health and wellness. And basically our body has just like our veins and arteries, you know, we have these, these our veins and vessels, the blood vessels that run all over our body. We have these very thin, clear vessels that run throughout our body as well that carry what they call lymph fluid. And so they're very superficial. They're really between the skin and the adipose tissue and the fat. So above, above the muscle, below the skin and they're, they work in conjunction. They're part of our circulatory system. They work in conjunction with our heart, our cardiovascular system. So blood pushes, you know, our, our heart pumps blood throughout our body. It goes throughout our arteries and veins and our blood pressure gets pushes blood against the, the vessel walls. And so fluid, some fluid actually gets pushed out into what we call the interstitial space. It's basically, that means space between cells. And so there you get like plasma, you get some blood, you get different proteins, toxins, virus, bacteria, you get things in your, it's, it's basically the stuff in your body that needs to get filtered and moved either, either cleaned and put back into the bloodstream or moved on out. And so that's what the lymphatic system does. It actually, it picks up, the vessels pick up this, this fluid, this interstitial fluid. And when it comes into the lymph vessels, it becomes lymph fluid, and then it gets carried to our lymph nodes. And we have those throughout our body, but they're kind of clustered in some general areas. Almost everybody has had swollen glands as a kid, right? If your mom would say, get those big lumps under your, under your jawline, behind your ears. But we have them also under our arm, like in our armpits. We have them in our, our, the inguinal area, like your groin, where your leg meets your, meets your trunk. And so, and then we have about 300 in our deep abdominal cavity. And they, the lymph nodes pick up this fluid and they like act like little cleaning machines. So they filter this fluid and they clean it out and all of the stuff that's you know, the body identifies as other that needs to get rid of this, you know, proteins that are too big to go back into the bloodstream. If you have some sort of bacteria or virus, it filters that out of the body through the excretory systems. And it takes the good fluid and it puts it back and dumps it and back into the heart and it starts the process all over again. And so obviously it's a cleaning mechanism, but it's also those lymph nodes when it's working also produce white blood cells. And so it helps to stimulate white cell production, which are our immune fighters. You know, they're the ones that help the white, white cells, like the T helpers and or, yeah, T cells. And sorry, it's been a while since I've had to explain the science behind it, but they, you know, all of those work to eliminate the things in our body that, that are unhealthy for us. It's, it's, it's how your body fights off a common cold or, you know, something that, that we've had, you know, something that's easy to, to kind of get through and, and that your body's had exposure to before. So it's really critical to our immunity. And it's also critical to just part of our cardiovascular system. The challenge with it is it doesn't have its own pump, like the heart, like the heart is always in, you know, the heart is a muscle. It's a machine that actually pushes our blood through our body, but the lymphatic system 
relies on movement. It actually relies on the friction of like the gentle friction of our, our muscles moving against our skin and, and within the fascia that it's all wrapped around it. And, and it relies slightly on the blood pressure of our like blood through our vessels. So because it's a delicate system, it can be easily disrupted. And that's why if you've ever flown on a plane, a long plane ride, and your feet get kind of puffy and swollen, or, you know, from sitting too long or something, that's basically lymph fluid kind of pooling in your, because you're not up and moving around. So it's not getting the stimulation it needs to do its job, to move the fluid throughout the body. That's why people with congestive heart failure will often get puffy everywhere because the body isn't processing that extra fluid like it needs to. And that's where cancer treatment becomes a challenge because anyone who's had lymph nodes removed, say a woman who has breast cancer and they find it in some lymph nodes and they, you know, remove a few or all of the lymph nodes that are under the arm and they drain that extra fluid, that lymph fluid from the arm. Well, now you've just basically taken a machine and dismantled part of it, right? You no longer have those lymph nodes and and lymph vessels have been cut. And so that's where a condition like lymphedema can come in because basically the machine's broken and the fluid won't move elsewhere in the body and move through the body like it's supposed to. So you end up with this backup of fluid in the limb. So a woman who has gone through breast cancer treatment, mostly if she's had lymph node removal of any kind or radi- and or radiation therapy, which also can kill the, the lymph nodes, can end up with this kind of heavy swollen arm. And unfortunately it's a chronic condition. I mean, it can be managed, but it has to be managed through manual therapies or wearing a sleeve. And if it gets really bad, it can require a compression pump. And yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty difficult. So it's, it's interesting because as important as lymphatic, our lymphatic system is in our body it's not really, you know, like you said, it's not talked about at length. It's, and it's really just become a specialty within medicine relatively recently. And it's not something that even in cancer care that they, that they really educate clients about or uh, patients about in the way that I think they need to, which is kind of why I'm doing what I'm doing now. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. You know, for somebody who is healthy, is that why it's important to get massages too, is to keep working that out? Yeah. So traditional massage, what most people think of is actually, it's good for, you know, you're, it's, again, there's different theories. There's the people who are, get very technical about it and want evidence-based. And then there's kind of the general concept or consensus that we move blood, you know, we have the circulatory system and, and, and you are, when you're, when you're compressing tissues, you're creating an ischemic compression and then you bring blood flow back to it. So it helps to oxygenate the body and the tissues. Lymphatic vessels are so delicate and so superficial that it's actually a very different type of work when you do lymphatic massage or lymphatic drainage. So a, a regular massage actually it doesn't hurt the lymphatic system and it, it might add a little in a healthy person. It theoretically could help a little bit, but you're also bypassing a lot of the lymph system. So when I work with someone for lymphatic drainage, even a healthy person, if I'm trying to stimulate their lymphatic system, it doesn't feel like a massage that you would think of. It's a very light rhythmic motion, very superficial, very light pressure and very slow. So it's not those like long strokes where you're, you know, really kind of sweeping your hands up someone's body, or you're really working into their shoulders or their neck. It's, it's just quite a different experience, but 
I do think to sum that up, I do think that massage is good for everybody. There's definite benefits, especially from the, you know, obviously keeping tissues like hydrated and healthy, working out the kinks and feeling good. And then the, the relaxation aspect of it. Well, I'm wondering too, you know, just like another way to look at movement of the physical body when you're an active person and you're moving your body more and your blood is pumping, you know, is that really what's best for the lymphatic system? Yes. Movement is great. Being active is great. It's, it's really important. I mean, it, obviously it's good for your heart. It's, you know, it's, I find that when the more sedentary I am, the more aches and pains I have. And you know, this is so fascinating because I have talked to so many different healers about this and, you know, I get visions sometimes. So spirit has been coming in since the day that I started doing this work and showing me that people who are more sedentary and I struggle with this too, you know, cause I create all this content and it's just sitting at a desk all day. They keep showing me like a hardening almost like, like a stoning almost. And they say, it's not like that but it's like the best way that they have to kind of describe it. And they said, it doesn't matter exactly what you're doing, right? If it's just walking around the block, like it doesn't have to be where you're going to the gym and running on a treadmill. It can be something more light, but they said, you just have to move. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that. I think that put a lot of pressure on ourselves to, you know, the white right workout is or what type of, you know, how much exercise we do. I mean, certainly there are clear studies and guidelines that show that, you know, raising your heart rate a certain amount, how many times a week is really good for you and all of that. But, you know, honestly, just from a general, like reducing aches and pains and feeling better in your body, getting up from that, from your desk every 30 minutes and doing some stretches, you know, there's a great program that I love that I always recommend called eccentrics and they have a streaming service and you can want, like you can do anywhere from a 15 minute to a 30 minute dynamic stretching. And it's really gentle and it's really easy, but it's a stretch and strengthen. It's why I love yoga too. And I think that's something else that people often don't think about in conjunction is about strengthening and stretching. Some people are really bendy and flexible, but that doesn't mean you're strong. And you need the muscles to support the ligaments and because that's how you can end up with aches and pains and weak joints. But then there's people who work out a lot and build strength, but they never stretch. And then you have all these really tight muscles that can actually like pull joints out of alignment, you know, throw your, like change your, your back or your pelvis. So yeah, movement of any kind throughout the day is really important. Movement and stretching. I love it when you can put something together within your mind because my mind is so, my egoic mind is so stubborn. And unless it has like a why behind something, it it really acts out a lot of times. So I love that because I can kind of use it as fuel against that ego, try and talk it down sometimes. That's good for your health. So I want you to tell people about your program, where they can find you online, tell them all that good stuff, because I know that you work with people one-on-one and you've been through this, you know this. So if somebody has a cancer diagnosis or friends, if you are listening and you're like, I have a person in my life who needs Amy, where can they find you? What do you um, offer? Well, local in Buffalo, New York, when it's not, when COVID isn't raging, I do see clients hands-on, one-on-one for, for massage therapy. I work with women. 
exclusively. And I, I do focus on oncology, massage and lymphatic drainage. But in the broader sense, right now, my focus is on women impacted by breast cancer. And the easiest way to find me is to go to my website, which is amyhartle.com. It's A-M-Y-H-A-R-T-L.com. The name of my, of my business is As We Are Now. And I, that came to me because I felt like that is so much, you know, women, women who go through this want to find their new normal. They want to get back to feeling like like they want their life back. And I think there has to be some level of acceptance of realizing that you're never going to be how you were, but that you can find self-acceptance, self-love and, and healing as, as you are now. And so I run an online community for women living in survivorship basically anyone coming, you know, just kind of finishing up active treatment or living years out who just needs to be with a community of women who get it. But I also, I also really thoughtful and conscious of avoiding the singular uh, messaging of breast cancer, which tends to be that warrior, that pink ribbon that, you know, not everyone relates to that. And I, I never begrudge the pink ribbon campaign. It's very important. Awareness is critical. And I also always say that every woman gets to do this the way that she needs to, to, to process this experience and live her life fully. But there are a lot of us out there who, you know, don't, I don't know, don't love the color pink. It was never my color before. And it's not my color now. And, you know, I think one of the hardest parts is women can lose their identity, a sense of identity along with their breasts, you know, or again, the the public sees you, the people in your life see you as through this lens, through this pink lens of the breast cancer, you know, kind of this, this avatar of the breast cancer survivor. And so I'm really, one of my goals is also to change that narrative and to remind women that, you know, you can, you can be a survivor or living with metabolic breast cancer or whatever your situation is and still be you. And that you don't have to take on this persona that has been created by the cancer industry. So the membership, we focus on monthly themes that are relevant to all of us. We've done body image. We talked about managing your energy in December. This month, we're exploring how to use rituals and routines to, you know, kind of support ourselves and in our healing as well as just in in life. And let's let resolutions be, you know, put those aside and let's do things that are really more helpful and, and will have a lasting impact. So yeah, we, we do all of that. And then the program I'm about to launch is called the body empowerment program. And that will, it's an eight week virtual program that will focus more on the actual hands-on healing techniques. So really helping show women how to work with their breasts and their, or, you know, their scars, whether they're reconstructed, whether they've chosen flat closure, how to do their own lymphatic self-care, how to understand what their level of risk is. Because I think one of the hardest parts for uh, a woman after breast cancer is the loss of control, the loss of agency, you know, really feeling at odds with your body instead of feeling at home in your body, but feeling like, oh, what happened, you know, feeling distrustful of your body, every ache, every pain creates the unknown, creates fear. And so my goal through this program is to help educate women about what their bodies have been through help educate them about their, their risk of lymphedema, things like common triggers, you know, and then what they can actually do to manage and maybe even reduce that risk. Because what does any person want, but to feel like they have some say so in how they care for themselves. And uh, that's just really lacking right now in, in, in cancer care. You know, you kind of, I've had plenty of women who've told me, well, my doctor said I'll either get it or I won't. And that's, that's that. And I don't believe that. I mean, I do, you know, certainly there are no guarantees, but I do think there's something to be said for 
educating women about what role they can play going forward in their healing and their recovery. That's amazing. Amy, we'll put all of those in the show notes, those links. Thank you so, so much for being here. Thank you so much. I loved it. It was a great conversation. Ah, you too. Beautiful souls, I'm so excited to announce that my book on angels and how they're working miracles in your life will be available on Amazon fall of 2021. If you're listening on or after fall of 2021, check it out. Friends, if you'd like to work with me each week, my angel membership program is perfect for you. You can join at any time and you get access to past courses. In 2021, I'll be teaching you about a new topic each month. We started the year in February with a course on oneness and raising your vibration. March is angel communication, how to hear your angels. April is trusting your intuition. May is knowing your soul's purpose. June is working with Archangel Raphael to learn self-energy healing techniques and Chakras 101. July is rewriting the stories you've been holding on to. August is all about rewiring your mind to move past blocks. September is energetically working through ancestral trauma. October is working with your inner child and Archangel Michael. November is a guide to being an empath. Then we're rounding out the year with a course in December that helps you connect with your loved ones on the other side to help you deepen your personal connection with them. And in January 2022, we'll be back with a whole new course on manifestation and co-creation. You get all of this live group access to me, two new pre-recorded Reiki healings, an advance notice to book a session with me when you're an angel member. Sign up for the angel membership anytime. If you're listening in 2022, please know that we're planning to add new content each month. For details and to sign up, view the show notes below. Friends, the only thing that's not included in the Angel Membership right now is the Angel Reiki School, where you learn to develop your unique spiritual gifts. Whereas the Angel Membership is about your awakening journey and your personal spiritual growth, the Angel Reiki School, on the other hand, certifies you as an Angel Reiki Master Teacher and teaches you the art of energy healing and bringing through messages for your clients. Friends, if you're feeling called to the Angel Reiki School, it's because the souls you're here to help on earth, well, they're omnipresent piece of them. You know, they're higher selves on the other side. That's what's behind you, pushing you, fueling you to become who you're meant to be. Because when you do, they know your work will shift the trajectory of their life here. That's what I mean when I say you have big, big purpose in this lifetime. A new class of the Angel Reiki School starts on the first of each month. Speaking of the Angel Reiki School, we're going to need about 800 volunteers this year. We select volunteers from people who've written a five-star positive review and emailed us a copy. 
That way, we have a way of contacting you for your free volunteer session. Many of you have asked if I'm still booking sessions, and the answer to that is yes. I love, love, love my sessions with you. We have a new system where we send out an email once a month with a link to my calendar for you to book online. It's really easy. All you have to do is sign up to be on my email list on my website, theangelmedium.com. I've been spending a ton of time going live with you on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook, and I'm having a blast with it. Join me over on social and our newly launched YouTube channel for tons of new content, teaching videos, and actual video footage of these podcast episodes. Friends, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so, so much for being part of this community and listening to this show. I truly feel that this is your show and the angels show, and I just feel so blessed to be a part of it. You're the most supportive community a podcaster could have. I pray for you every day. If you have a special prayer request, you can submit it through my website homepage, and I'll be praying for you personally. Now for the oneness meditation, which is the last five minutes of every episode. And as you do this meditation, you'll raise your vibration and the vibration of the planet. Friends, what I want you to do is to just get into a relaxed position. If you are driving, operating machinery, need to concentrate, then this meditation is not for you. But anyone who is able to focus their attention on it, please join me. Friends, I want you to start by taking a deep breath in and a deep breath out. And I want you to imagine that your socks, your shoes are off and that your bare feet are able to connect with the soil of the earth. And down through the bottom, the soles of your feet are these large roots that go down far and wide into the earth. Those roots go down far and wide, anchoring you into the earth as if you were a tree yourself. And up through those roots comes this beautiful, yummy, tingly energy. Begins to tingle at the tip of your toes. I want you to allow this yummy, tingly energy to just dance up over your feet, around your ankles. Feel this yummy, tingly energy as it moves up over your calves, your shins, all the way up to your knees. Feel this energy at your knees and allow it to move up the thighs, the hamstrings all the way up to the sides of the hips. I want you to allow this energy to move from the hips up to the base of your spine, the base of your stomach. And I want you to feel this energy as it climbs up the spine and the stomach all the way up 
until it reaches your heart. As you feel this yummy, tingly, sparkly energy surrounding the outside of your heart, filling the inside of your heart, notice how your entire body comes into a gentle state of ease. Allow this energy to move up into the shoulders, into the neck. Feel it as it fills your entire head front to back, side to side, top to bottom. And then feel this energy as it moves through the hair follicles on the top of your head so that you feel this yummy tingliness two inches to ten feet or higher above the top of your head. Friends, you might feel like there's a string above your head lifting you up towards the sky. You might feel an airy floatiness. You might feel an expansive spaciousness. What I want you to do from here is imagine that there is this large opening at the crown of your head. It's the size of a cereal bowl, right? And I want you to imagine that it extends upwards towards heaven and that God sends this loving, peace-filled oneness energy. It's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's bliss, it's ease, it's grace. And God just sends this energy through the crown of your head. It moves through your head, down through your neck, down through your shoulders, and it starts to pool. This God energy starts to pool around your heart, within your heart. And I just want you to feel that for a moment. And I want you to just tap in and notice. I want you to notice that your heart, your physical heart, is one with your body. And I want you to notice that your heart and your body are one with the air surrounding you. that your heart, your body, the air surrounding you are one with all life here on earth, all plants, all people, all animals, all life on earth. And now notice how your heart, body, air surrounding you, all life here on earth to everything, everywhere. Friends, did you notice how your body got more expansive, your energy got more expansive, and you could feel out into your auric field, you could feel out into the energy of the world, into the energy of everything, everywhere. Friends, that is oneness, and you can carry with you in your every day. I don't want you to stop here. I don't want you to open up your eyes. I want you to continue this meditation and to see 
that surrounding you are angels. You have guardian angels around you. You have cherub angels holding the space open for you to get into oneness at any time. You have archangels working with you in every area of your life. You have loved ones on the other side. See them. See them in detail, friends, because you seeing them in detail is the exact same thing as you going to them on the other side, knocking on their door, asking them to spend time with you. They love you so incredibly much. They want to spend time with you. They want to develop that relationship with you. When they're there, you're here. I know it's different, but you can still have that beautiful, incredible relationship. All of these beings, your angels, your guides, your loved ones on the other side, they form your spirit team who's always working to guide you, direct you, protect you. Friends, what I want you to do is just take some time with them right here, right now. What they want you to know is that they are working with you all the time. What they want you to know is that they are sending you signs and symbols to show you that they're next to you. Friends, they ask you to see that they are bringing in gift after gift after gift through your heart chakra to bless your life with miracles. Friends, it's your job to remain open, to believe, and to trust that they are working miracles in your life. Friends, I love you. They love you so incredibly much. Stay open and know, believe, trust, have faith, know like you know like you know that they are working with you always. See you here next time. Have a blessed day.